Chaitanya Charitamrita. This Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita is, is actually an extension of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Because in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find a description of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is living a life based on the principles of Srimad Bhagavatam. Therefore, there is no difference between the Chaitanya Charitamrita and the Srimad Bhagavatam in that sense. However, it is Srimad Bhagavatam put into practice, but there is one thing which is only mentioned very shortly in Srimad Bhagavatam, in the 11th canto of Bhagavatam, which is Trisa Krishna. Uh, Trisha Krishna, Krishnamanam, Sangukankastupar Sadam, Yakya Sankirtanam Sandir, Yayanti Yusuvedi Saham. It is explaining that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appears, this time not as Krishna but as A Krishna, this time not in a blackish form but in a non blackish form. And that he will be uh, along with his appear along with his associates and spread the Sankirtan movement. So there's a few verses which describe Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Bhagavatam. But that mercy is not elaborately described. The Chaitanya Charitamrita is in great detail describing the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Krishna Das Kaviras Goswami says, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Daya Kara Vichara Vichara Karita Chittipal Chamatka. He's saying that if you are interested in logic, then apply that logic in trying to understand the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And if you do so, you will become amazed. Because it is by that mercy that everything becomes possible. So that principle is the foundation of our discussion tonight. And not only of our discussion, but is the very foundation of our spiritual life. We cannot practice spiritual life without mercy. That is very clear. The circumstances are not favorable. We are struggling. And uh, before I start to read, I want to uh, say a few more introduction, introductory things. One moment, to put in a bus approach, and this is not recognizing the fingerprint, but I did it. And now I have to, I'm going to put it multitasking. So for two days, we'll be discussing the Chaitanya Charitamrita, and uh, I wanted to say, to call it, to see our life reflected in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. So in a way, I'm approaching it from, uh, from where we are. I'm not just going to give a, a, a discourse from the book, but I'm going to try and connect it to our own lives. So let me say a few things. 
Lord Chaitanya's uh, movement um, started in, well, he appeared, as we know, in 1486. By that time, uh, Bengal had been under Muslim rule for about, uh, well, almost, almost three centuries. Because it was in the year 1204 um, that a group of uh, of Turkish Turkish Muslims came across and they disguised themselves as traders in horses and in this way they entered the palace and then suddenly from inside the palace attacked without giving the, uh, the king a proper challenge, a proper warning. The king was very much, uh, Lachman Singh uh, was very much a, uh, a ruler, a Kshatriya. And as a Kshatriya, he was accustomed to fight according to Kshatriya principles. And because the Muslims did not follow the Kshatriya principles, but rather attacked in a hidden way, they caught him unprepared. And, and they, they managed to kill the royal guard in the palace, and the king could only escape through, through a tunnel and, uh, and, and go in hiding. That's how it was. And from that point on, Muslim rule was a fact in Bengal. It was certainly not easy for Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his followers that so many years later, Bengal was very much controlled by strong Muslim influence and they were oppressing the Hindu culture. Although Muslim presence was limited to, uh, to mainly a military presence, some Sufis had also come and started to uh, to actually convert people on the strength of philosophy. But the main conversion wasn't going because of that. It was because Hindus were being taxed. Hindus were being taxed and that was something that was too troublesome. So all the poor, all the poor converted. Uh, and then there was also forceful conversions. Uh, by putting flesh in the mouths of people. And because at the time, in India, Vedic culture itself had also evolved. Uh, it had evolved to a culture which was very much controlled by smarter Brahmanas. Smarter Brahmanas, you see, in India, we will find that some Brahmanas are known as Chaturvedi and in Mathura. In Mathura you will find many Chaturvedis. We have also Trivedis. Right? And uh, then we have some Brahmanas who are known as Parasha or Gautam. Like this we have some, some Gotras, uh, some lineages, Bharadwaj. Um, uh, we have some lineages in uh, in various Brahminical families. So, 
that is there. But what happened was the the Vedas they offer us rituals right, which are offerings and glorifications of various devatas. But these rituals are not so much dealing with everyday life. Whereas the Sriti, the Dharma Shastra, is very practical. Because there are all kinds of samskaras which are being performed, which deal directly with life. When you want to conceive a child, what do you do? Samskara is there. After the child is, is, is in the womb, samskara. After the child is born, sanskara, and so on and so on. It gives all these regulations um, for social life. Therefore, the Dharma Shastra was popular. So therefore, Brahmanas who were studying these scriptures, which is Smriti, um, they were considered of a lower class. Higher class was actually considered the Upanishads, uh, which were giving uh, knowledge of liberation and so on, but most Vyastas, eternal liberation is all good and well, but uh, uh, there are other things to deal with right now. Uh, and that was deal with life. And therefore, the Svarta Brahmana's influence gradually increased and increased. Uh, they were teaching the Sriti and put all the emphasis on, on properly executing ritual. So everything was, ritual must be done correctly, and then you get the correct result. Uh, so this was the essence, very important. So India has been in the grip of Sparta Brahmanas for at least a thousand years. And for at least the last thousand years, Sparta Brahmanas were very prominent in India. And so that is a development in Vedic culture itself that we have to keep in mind when we are looking at Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. If we trace the history of Smarta Brahmanism, we see that it started in South India, that South Indian families invited Kashmiri Brahmanas who were in the same line to strengthen them. Then they became very strong and then they began to spread to other places and eventually also to Bengal where also Smarta Brahmanism became very predominant. So the Smarta Brahmanas, they were not appreciative of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement at all. Uh, they were rather, they complained to the Muslim government. Uh, because they said, like, instead of following all the ritual, now they are just chanting, 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 they are worshipping only Krishna. Why are you worshiping only Krishna? Huh? Yes. What kind of concoction is this? Uh, they were not, not aware of, of scriptural injunctions pointing towards Krishna exclusively. Of course, Gaudiya Vaishnavas were there. Uh, Madhavendra Puri. Madhavendra Puri is described as the first, he is the seed. He is the one in whom this bhakti first developed. And his disciple, Iswarapuri, and he was the disciple, uh, 
He is the spiritual master of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So like this, it spread. One early disciple, so all the disciples of Madhavinda Puri, they were the early devotees in Bengal who brought this Krishna consciousness to the foreground. Advaita Acharya was among them and many others. Huh? And they brought forward this Krishna consciousness in Bengal. Huh? Advaita Acharya, he would in his house conduct Bhagavad Gita classes. And he was teaching Gita Sapchirapat, or you can it's the true understanding of the Gita or Bhagavad Gita as it is. Um, that was his aim, to teach Bhagavad Gita as it is. So in this way we see how, uh, what the environment was. It's not that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement was appearing in a, in a very easy environment. And that as the movement 500 years ago was really beginning, that then it was easy and now it's difficult. Mm -mm. It wasn't easy at all. It was, the country was occupied by, by Muslim rulers who were oppressive of any Hindu practices. Then, on top of that, the Hindus, the established Hindu order, was complaining about what Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was doing. So, his movement had it very difficult. Uh, Advaita Acharya, he was much older than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was 53 years older. Uh, so Advaita Acharya was well established before. And Advaita Acharya was from a Varindra Brahmana family, which is a, an aristocratic Brahmana background, uh, highly recognized. Uh, from East Bengal, and when he came and settled in Shantipur, he was aristocratic. His grandfather was a ministry, so they had ancestral property just outside of, uh, of Shantipur. You can still find it today. And he also had a house in the city. So he was, plus he had another house in, in Navadvip, so he was, you know, aristocratic, wealthy, Brahmana. And very respected. He was very learned. It was very difficult to argue with Advaita Acharya because he could defeat anyone uh, by his learning. But not only by his learning, he also had a very loud voice. His voice was thundering and he was a big, uh, a big person. So in front of Advaita Acharya, who had such a loud voice, everyone was some of the children covered their ears. <laughs> and um, so, in this way, um, Advaita Acharya was very powerful. And therefore, he could do things that no one else could do. There was this, there was Haridas Thakur, Muslim, <coughs> but chanting and so on, and uh, we know, uh, we don't know exactly uh, how Haridas became a devotee, that we don't know. Uh, we know that he appeared in a Muslim family, there is a village which they are 
Zaying is his birthplace in the Jessore district, which is Bangladesh, just across the border from Mayapur. And, uh, but there is no trace in that village. I mean, we cannot, and nobody will tell you anything in that village. It's a Muslim village, so what will they say? So in that way, we cannot really trace out so much history. But we know that Haridas was chanting in a place called Bainapol. Nowadays, Bainapol is just situated across the border of Bangladesh. And it is right on the Indian border, immediately after. So this Bainapol is, is the place where Haridas was chanting. It's not so far from Shantipur. So Aridas would go regularly to Shantipur and meet with Advaita Acharya. And there was a real connection. Because Aridas was also much older than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was some 35 years older than Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So like this, you see, he was among the elders. And so one day, during performance of the Sraddha ceremony, which, which Advaita Acharya was performing, at the time. He offered the Sada Bhattara. At one point, there are offerings to be made to the Brahmanas. One is meant to feed the Brahmanas. And instead of feeding the Brahmanas, he said, Oh, Haridas, you are much greater than any Brahman. And he offered him the Sada Bhattara. So Haridas said, Please, you know, how can you do this? You know, other people will get said, No, it's all right, don't worry. You know, they can't do anything against me. Who can stand up against me? So in this way, okay, then even Aridas couldn't stand up and, and had to take it. And, uh, and nothing happened because no one had the strength to argue with Advaita Charya. But anybody less powerful would have been ostracized from the Brahmin community for doing something like that. And that was outrageous, giving the Sadhapatra to a Muslim. Even nowadays, in India, people would raise an eyebrow, want to speak 500 years ago. So, just to sketch a little bit with these stories, uh, the background of where we are, um, that we are, that the Sankirtan movement start in an easy environment. So sometimes we might think then, of course, it was all much easier than now. Uh, well, of course, uh, when Srila Prabhupada came to the West, he brought a tradition from India to, to the West, and it was like a transplant. One of the things that was transplanted from East to West was Tulsi. Govinda Dasi, who was Prabhupada's early disciple, she was she gets the credit of growing the first Tulsi in the West. And, and Tulsi came here, and Tulsi is doing very well. So just as that was a big transplant, and we know that sometimes they use like hot lights in the West for Tulsi because the sun is not strong enough compared to India. Um, it's difficult for Tulsi in it, outside of India, so they put some artificial hot light to, for, to get Tulsi to grow. So in the same way, 
Uh, our Satchinandan Maharaj from Germany, his father was uh, a director in the German railways. So that is a big position, obviously, big man, German railways, not small thing. So his father, he met with Prabhupada, and his father said, to, he said to Prabhupada, how will it be possible for a crocodile to live in the river Rhine? In Germany is the Rhine. He says, how can a crocodile live in the Rhine? And Prabhupada answered, he says, no, it's not a problem. They can be devotees in plain clothes. Yeah? So Prabhupada, and then after he said, oh, your spiritual master is very intelligent because he understood the riddle. You know, we might scratch our head. You know, how can a crocodile live in the Rhine? But Prabhupada understood it. That it was again a crocodile in an alien environment, in a, in a foreign culture where the crocodile didn't belong, in a cold river Rhine where no crocodiles naturally are living. How could the crocodile survive? How could Krishna consciousness survive in the Western world? Huh? Yeah, of course, we're seeing that there was a transcendental Gaudiya Vaishnav culture. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's culture was completely transcendental. It was not just Vedic. They were chanting Hare Krishna, they were uh, going beyond, um, beyond the limitations of, uh, of just Vedic culture. Anybody who is chanting Hare Krishna is becoming, is becoming a devotee of Krishna. And that's all they cared for. When Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Radhananda Rai were in a conversation, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked the questions. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asked Radhananda Rai, he said, what, what, is, what constitutes education? What is important in education? And Ramananda Roy said, no education is important other than Krishna consciousness. Now, okay, so that was a very transcendental approach. And that was an approach that was not considering anything else. Now we see the same in Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada also, he had a very transcendental approach. Prabhupada was not at all interested in modern, in, in modern mundane education. He had no such thing as we have to prepare our children for, uh, for functioning in the world. Prabhupada had another idea. Um, his idea was, he started communities with devotees. First, in 1959, he wrote a paper about Kitanagaris or villages dedicated to the Gita. And later, when he was in America, he started such a village, Gita Nagari. And there is a project called Gita Nagari. And his idea was it would be villages where based, uh, people would live from the land and from protection of cows, and completely centered around the knowledge of the Gita and nothing else. And devotees would live there as devotees, just speak about Krishna, 
and, uh, and all the other things would be uh, sort of learned on the job, but uh, no question for any need for mundane education and so on. However, that didn't work out. Um, because such a community could only work out if there would be, along with it, a, uh, a very realized, loving, Krishna conscious leader. Um, one who could generate surrender and trust in people. Right? If there is such a Krishna conscious leader, who completely emanates trust, maybe then people would say, okay, we don't care about private property, we just uh, live in a community, we'll just uh, do service in the community, the community provides for us, and we'll just take shelter of that. But if you don't have complete trust, you will say, yeah, that's all good and well, but you know, what if the temple president doesn't like you tomorrow, and then, you know, you're out on the street. It's better to have your own house and, and some papers, you know, that it's yours and no one can throw you out and so on. And what if your income is dependent on the temple? It's nice, but again, what if they don't like you and then tomorrow you're out and you're on the street? That's also not a good idea. Better to have an education which secures a job in the world and all these things. That is what devotees start to say. And we all drifted away from the original commune model which Prabhupada had in mind. Huh? Uh, there were several big projects which he started like that, like in that community spirit. And everyone would just live there without really private property and in different ashrams and, you know, and just serve in the project. But it gradually changed, um, and, and it, it, it first of all broke down, as I said, in that the leader was not mature and not completely a deep self-realized Vaishnava who could generate the trust in people. So we see, uh, Prabhupada tried to create a, uh, an environment where devotees could be sheltered from the world. And that's important, and that's, that's the beginning because of this seminar, because uh, one of the common discussions I have, like every day, every day, all over the world, with people who are in the world, they are explaining to me how much they struggle in Krishna consciousness. Every day. Every day this is what I have to hear. Every day. And it's like, whomever I meet with, that's what I hear. And many times, the, the, the reason for that struggle is not due to individual issues, but due to social issues. It is due to the world we live in where there is no time and where, you know, issues are like, how can you, how can you make
make sure your children are Krishna consciousness when you have to send them to a mundane school. Or when both parents have to work to just manage to pay for the loan on the house, uh, which you really need since the third child is, has just come. And, uh, and then, you know, what about, and then daycare, you know, which is, by the way, so expensive that, you know, it takes all the money you earn, practically speaking. Anyway, the whole artificial way of life. So, that artificial way of life creates a lot of stress in our spiritual life, because it's not designed for spiritual life. It wasn't made for spiritual life. Prabhupada says things in lectures like, you, we should only work six hours for our maintenance. You go tell your boss. <laughs> See what he says. See what he says. See if he agrees. I mean, even a devotee boss wouldn't agree. You know? Some devotees here are bosses. And I don't think they will give their employees six hours. They couldn't. Because you know, they would go bankrupt. Because the whole system is not designed in that way. So what to do? So we complain. It's so hard to chant. It's so hard to go to the temple. It's so hard to read. It's so hard to make your, Christ your children Krishna conscious. It's so hard to rise early in the morning because I'm so tired. Yeah, I mean, true. Granted, you are right. It is true. It is hard. I will not sit here as the Swami and say, Ah, oh, you know, how can you be so weak? Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You know, uh, this is just due to your mental weakness. And if you would be a little stronger, then certainly you would be able to overcome this weakness. Oh, Arjuna, you must now go to battle and fight the fight. You know? Okay, I can quote a few slokes, right? And send you off on the battle on your own Kuruksetra. <laughs> you know, after the first arrows start to come in your direction, you go, well, maybe I'm not Arjuna after all. <laughs> so, like this, um, it's not, not so easy. Anyway, we are going now to the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, and we'll see that we have similarities with the personalities that are described in the book. And we see that there are differences between our life in the modern world and their life. Um, but I just first preface it that we shouldn't just think that they had it easy and that we never, and that we are the only ones who are struggling. And some things, if we read the Chaitanya Charitamrita, haven't changed at all. Mahaprasana. The book is full of descriptions of devotees having Mahaprasana. And it wouldn't be difficult to start writing in Melbourne about Mahaprasana. You know, if you ask someone, can you please write an article about Mahaprasadam, 
in Melbourne. I think you could manage it. Uh, I think there's enough to write about. You know? But you wouldn't have to go far. You just look at your neighbors as well. As she put a cauliflower pakora in her mouth, <laughs> the expression on her face changed. <laughs> You start your story like that. <laughs> and it's like, you know, you have different kinds of prasadam eaters. You have, you have the ones who sneak in late at night in the darkness right? and who just go for the last offering. <laughs> and there is Dr. Greg. You know. <laughs> Controls. <laughs> you cannot get on the wrong side of <laughs> So, there are things you, know, <laughs> you could write about mobs. Anyway. So, as we are. Oh, gosh, sorry. I cannot multitask. So give me two seconds to shut down from you and focus on this thing, otherwise it doesn't work. I want to read from the Adi Vila, chapter 17. It is the last chapter of the Adi Lila. It, Adi Lila is the first part of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life. And now in the, in the Adi Lila, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a young man. He has, as Nimai Pandit, as the scholar, already defeated that famous case of a Kashmiri scholar, that Dipvijay Pandit, who actually was a prominent person in the Nimbarka Sampradaya. So, some are saying that uh, in this way, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu um, established the superiority of the uh, Gaudiya Sampradaya. Anyway, later on, Lord Nichananda also came into Navadvip. And at that time, Lord Chaitanya was a young man who was broad-shouldered like a lion, who would wear his brown thread on his chest, and Ananta says, would personally appear in that Brahmin thread. And he looked very aristocratic. At that time, Lord Nichananda would accompany him. One day, the Lord sat down in the corridor of a Vishnu temple and began calling very loudly, Bring some honey! Bring some honey! Nichananda Prabhu Gosai Understanding the ecstatic mood of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu brought a pot of Ganges water as a token and put it before him. After drinking the water, Lord Chaitanya became so ecstatic that he began to dance. Thus everyone saw the pastime of attracting the river Yamun. Uh, we remember that pastime of Lord Balaram and that Balaram was intoxicated and that Balaram wanted to bathe with young girls in the Yamuna and the Yamuna wasn't coming 
near because the Amuna saw that Balaram was intoxicated. Then Balaram was getting upset. He said, Jamuna, come here. Yamuna didn't come. Then Balaram took his plow and with that plow began to pull the Yamuna and said, I'll punish you and I'll turn you into many little streams. Oh, Yamuna became afraid. She didn't want to be turned into many little streams. So then Yamuna came before Balaram and said, I'm so sorry, please, please forgive me. And in this way, uh, we can see that in Vrindavan, the Yamuna still in some areas has many streams because of Balaram's scratching of the ground, of the ground. When the Lord, in his ecstasy of Baladev, was moving as if intoxicated by a beverage, Advaita Acharya, the chief of the Acharyas, Acharya Shekhar, saw him in the form of Balaram. Vanamali Acharya saw a golden plow in the hand of Balaram, and the devotees all assembled together and danced, overwhelmed by ecstasy. So not everyone saw Balaveta Acharya saw, Vanamali Acharya saw. In this way, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was revealing that he was the Supreme Lord. But at the same time, he was hiding it because he was acting as a devotee of the Lord, to teach devotees. Um, in this way they danced continuously for 12 hours, and in the evening they all took a bath in the Ganges, and then returned to their homes. So that was quite a festival, if you think about it. It's described only shortly, in a few verses. But it is quite a festival, uh, when we see that uh, 12 hours, they danced for 12 hours, so the mood became very ecstatic. Because if we had a 12 hour festival here, we would call it a big festival. That's a big festival. The Lord ordered all the citizens of Navadvi to chant Hare Krishna Mantra, and in each and every home they began performing Sankirtan regularly. All the devotees sang this popular song along with the Hare Krishna Mantra. Arayya Nama Krishna Yadavaya Nama Gopal Govindaram Srimadusidam So, that actually was, was, a, was a song that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu liked very much. As Sri Prabhupada explains, it was a favorite of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So that was also chanted. When the Sangita movement thus started, no one in Navadvi could hear any sound other than the words Hari, Hari, and the beating of the Madonna and the clashing of handbells. Hearing the resounding vibration of the Hare Krishna mantra, the local Muslims, greatly angry, submitted the complaint to the Kazi. Chandikazi angrily came to one home in the evening, and when he saw Kirtan going on, he broke a Madonna and spoke as follows. For so long you did not follow the regulated principles of the Hindu religion, but now you're following them with great enthusiasm. May I know by whose strength you're doing so? Uh, and in the purport, Srila Prabhupada says, It appears that from the aggression of Bhaktiyar Kiliji in Bengal under the time of Chant Ghazi, Hindus or the followers of the Vedic principles were greatly suppressed. 
Like the Hindus in present-day Pakistan, practically no one could execute a Hindu religious principles freely. Chandkazi referred to this condition of Hindu society. Formerly, the Hindus had not been straightforward in executing their Hindu principles, but now they were freely chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. Therefore, it must have been by the strength of someone else that they were so daring. Actually, that was the fact. Although the members of the so-called Hindu society had followed the social customs and formulas, they practically forgotten to execute their religious principles strictly. But with the presence of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, they actually began following the religious principles according to his order. That order is still existing, and anywhere and everywhere, in all parts of the world, one can execute it. That order is to become a spiritual master under the direction of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu by following the regulated principles, chanting daily at least 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, and preaching the cult of Krishna consciousness all over the world. If we adhere to the order of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we shall get spiritual strength without a doubt. We shall be free to preach this cult of the Hare Krishna movement and not be hampered by anyone. So, it's interesting how in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is said that Vrindavan Das Thakur, he wrote the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the Chaitanya Bhagavad. And it said that Vrindavan Das Thakur was an incarnation of Vedavyas, who had now appeared to describe the pastimes of the Lord as Lord Chaitanya. Then in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, it says that in the future, many more manifestations of Vedavyas will appear and they will, uh, they will reveal many more pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, so what to make of that? We see that different biographers wrote on the pastimes of, and qualities of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The last one of them was Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami. Um, sometimes it is said that the Chaitanya Charitamrita is like the last word, the final word. All, after all the other biographies, that is the ultimate uh, explanation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, and yet he writes in the future, more will be described. Why is it so? Yes. We are seeing, for example, we have the Prabhupada Lila Amrita. So that Prabhupada Lila Amrita is describing uh, Krishna consciousness as it was performed in the presence of Srila Prabhupada and how the movement spread. And sometimes it was quite amazing. For example, you have a, a description how Prabhupada went to Athens and he did not which is in Greece, right? And Prabhupada, he only was in transit on the airport. He was only in transit on the airport. But what happened was, there was one devotee who had been, who was from America, who, who was part of the temple in San Francisco. He had traveled to Greece and he had convinced some people to do kirtan. So they were doing kirtan outside the terminal, on the terminal. 
And Brahma was only inside, but he could hear the kirtan. He could hear it through the, through the glass walls of the terminal. So, when he was inside, uh, in transit, Brahma heard kirtan. And he knew, you know, that this movement could also be successful here. Huh? Because kirtan was already there before he arrived. Like that. So, uh, so we see somehow or other Prabhupada's movement is spreading everywhere and the chanting of Hare Krishna is spreading uh, it's the story of the of the chanting of Hare Krishna as it's spreading yeah. so we can understand that this is a pastime of Lord Chaitanya we can understand that we are right now in a pastime of Lord Chaitanya. We are here in this temple, yeah? which is like, it is not an ordinary Hindu temple. It is not some temple where you just go for some blessings. Uh -huh. Blessings are good, you know. Blessings, yes. We want blessings and so on. But it's not just about blessings, it's about completely giving your life, um, and no less. And Prabhupada is sitting here to remind us right, that this is the place where you surrender your life to, to what? To Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. Therefore, this is part of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And all these pastimes we can write down. You can write down. You can write down the pastimes of Melbourne Temple. It was interesting uh, when we had that, uh, was it 40 year anniversary? Yeah, it was 40 years. I was, uh, somehow or other I was there, and it was interesting to see uh, how it went. How it went. Um, we saw that first, uh, that all these first devotees were Australians. Right? They were all Australians because they're, uh, and some Americans came here who started it. And then their followers were Australians. Right? And, uh, and we saw that on that evening. Um, we saw older devotees were like, Australian devotees, because Prabhupada came. At the time, there were not many Indians living at all in, in Australia. Well, there were not many. And uh, in the temple, there were only Australian devotees, in a smaller congregation. Um, I remember that on Jamastami, there was, uh, I was here on Jamastami in mid-80s, and Kurma had cooked 400 preparations. And they were all good, I thought. <laughs> each one was. And I also remember that we ate all those 400 preparations. <laughs> there were not that many guests. That, so the prasadam, the devotees ate the lion's share of the fest of the feast. I'm remembering. <laughs> yes. uh, so that was interesting. And then... Uh, in that evening, later in the evening, um, after first some of the older devotees had spoken, 
Then there was a play of the of the devotees of Melbourne Temple today, right? And practically all were from India, right? And uh, I think Bhakta was in the play, right? Like old star. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, it was most of the actors were from India. So. Whatever way this movement is going, and everyone from India thought they were coming to Australia to make some progress in life. Uh, well, you sure did. Uh, but not in material life, in spiritual life. Uh, unexpectedly, you walked into the Hare Krishna temple thinking it was a Hindu temple. But it is much more than that thinking you'd get blessings from Krishna. You, you got blessings from Krishna, but you got more blessings. You also got blessings from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That deity you didn't look at so much, because it was not so much part in your tradition. You looked more at Krishna in the middle, Radha Krishna. That's why you came. But meanwhile, you became influenced by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in quite a way. And his representative, Srila Prabhupada, pulled you right into the Chaitanya Charitamrita. And now we are chanting Hare Krishna. And now we are, are taking prasad. And now we are, uh, yes, we are struggling. Huh? We're struggling. The circumstances are not so favorable. But as you can see, uh, the circumstances were also not so favorable at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time. If Prabhupada describes here, that the conditions were just like in Pakistan today, Hindus in Pakistan today, <clears throat> doesn't sound that good, does it? I mean, who wants to be a Hindu in Pakistan? Any volunteers? Uh, <laughs> uh, I would rather go to other places, I could imagine better places than that. Uh, not easy at all. So it wasn't easy, but somehow or other, they did it. The devotees did it, not just because they felt that this is my duty. No, it wasn't just on the strength of duty. It was simply because how could they do anything else? Because they got a taste. First of all, we're doing this Krishna consciousness because we got a taste. Just as these devotees by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's mercy, they became so enthused, so enthusiastic that they started to chant publicly, you know, publicly in, at the time of oppression. And, and the, the Muslim magistrate rightly said, where are they getting their strength? Where are they getting it? Someone must have inspired them in, in some extraordinary way that they're now doing this. We may say the same thing. Where are we getting our strengths? Uh, where are we getting this? And of course, we all first of all point at Srila Prabhupada. Everyone in this movement will do that. You know? uh, and then his representatives. And then we go back. And then we say, the six Goswamis. And we say, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Right? And somehow or other, it, it comes like that to us, because Prabhupada brought it to us. In that regards, 
I like to tell the story of Brahmananda Prabhu, who uh, was in Vrindavan telling memories about Srila Prabhupada. And then um, someone, he, someone asked him a question and said, Brahmananda, you were there in the very early days with Prabhupada. Do you feel that there was, in the beginning, it was so close, like a family, that do you feel that it was different, that your relationship was different with Prabhupada in the beginning and later on? And Prabhupada said, he said, you know, when you're a child, your father is your father. And when you're grown up, your father's still your father. He said, what's the difference? Same relationship. And he says, no, hasn't changed. And then this devotee said, all I can see your love for Prabhupada is so great, you are worshipping as God. And Ramananda said, oh no, not as God. No, that is a mistake. Prabhupada is not God. Right? Prabhupada is as good as God. He said, but these days, these days I think he's better than God. Because he came to the Lower East Side and saved me. And then his voice just couldn't speak anymore. It's just like, oof. Brahmananda had such deep love for Prabhupada, such deep love. But he made an important point how he said even even better than God, right? Because he came in person. So that way a lot of focus on Prabhupada. He came. Um, and and those of us who are now acting as spiritual masters, are doing so in service to Srila Prabhupada. Not that, that we are saying, oh, now we are the replacement. We are not the replacement. He is still the Acharya, the founder of Acharya. He is still the one who brought, who gave this movement of Lord Chaitanya for the modern people and who made us part of this movement and in that way part of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Um, therefore, this Chaitanya Charitamrita is very important. If you don't read it, you're sort of not connecting with what we really are. Um, we are here because of Lord Chaitanya. That's it. You didn't know when you left India, um, or you didn't know when you went to school in Australia, those who are from Australia. And you didn't, I didn't know in Holland. I, as I was growing up, they asked me as a child what I wanted to, to become. And my brother wanted to be a policeman, and I wanted to be a lawyer. I don't know why I wanted to be a lawyer, but I could have been a lawyer. I can talk. <laughs> so, and so I could have been, no problem. Right? Uh, but somehow or other, I got saved. But I said many things, right, which are, uh, you know, at different points in my life of what I wanted to be. But I never said, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Anyone ask, what would you want to be in the future? 
I never said a Hare Krishna. Did you ever think, Param Brahma, that you would be walking around in an orange dress? <laughs> With a little tiki? <laughs> if they would have to told you that ten years ago, what would you have said? You are correct. <laughs> and all of us. But somehow or other it happened. And how, we came, how you came, it doesn't matter. Whether you came through your son, you know. Of course, all of us came so at one point because of Prasad. <laughs> we met someone who said, oh, they have very tasty sachi puri and some halva and something. So he said, oh, and very nice mandir. Oh, very good prasad. So said, okay, we'll go there. Let's go. Very nice. Yeah. It is very nice. So, that is Lord Chaitanya's movement. That was the same 500 years ago. Um, and then there's Kirtan. Um, this Kirtan is something that is very easy. Um, Strike now is a lecture, and it won't go on so much longer. I'll stop at night. But uh, now there's a lecture, and the children get restless. Right? They cry, they uh, sometimes you have to take them out when it gets too much. Right? Uh, what to do? Even an outside, even squeak from outside. Protest. Because kids, they are not as innocent as they look. They know when to cry. They know when to cry. Very well. So anyway, uh, but when there's kirtan, they're all quiet and they like it. Kirtan is good. So, therefore, uh, this Chaitanya Charitamrita is very much part of our life. Um, and we are actually part of it. And uh, although we're living in a different world, but the same mercy has come into our world. Just as that mercy came into an India that was under Muslim rule and was oppressed, but it came in and people just, and the devotees were in a minority, just as now. And somehow or other they would meet together and they would have kirtan and they would have prasad and sometimes they would chant between bites. Have you tried that? <laughs> they were very eager, they were very enthusiastic. So, uh, today I wanted to give an introduction and with that I have sort of done tomorrow I will reach you then like a few different parts about Kirtan, about taking Prasad and all these kind of things and see where it will go from there. Now if there are some questions or comments then I will um, give 12 more minutes for that. See if this. Yes? Other than the four regulatory principles, um, how important the other rules are 
regarding wearing certain kind of clothes or shaving your head or shaving your face. Whereas Shri Advaita Acharya had a long beard. Like, is it important to follow those things? Um. I read it today, and I'm just trying to remember now where. I'll first tell you what I read, and then I'll try to remember where. Okay. So what I read was that the devotees were very eager to put on all the marks of a Vaishnava on their bodies, and they were very happy to decorate their body with tilak and to put the kuntibala around and to wear the devotional attire. They were very happy to do so because all these things were, were pleasing to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and related to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, and therefore, it was a very joyous thing. Uh, I think I read it in in um, Madhya Lila chapter 9 and tomorrow I'm going to look it up for you and I'll make sure and then I'll read it to you because I'm not sure if it was there because I was reading in different places that's what you get there but anyway the, the point though from there is that we wear this dress not out of duty no. We wear this distress because it is full of transcendental energy. One time, I was on a train from Calcutta, and, uh, and one boy, local boy, Bengali boy, he was wearing shorts with some sort of flowery design on it. He had like flower Bermuda shorts, right? <laughs> and he looks at my dhoti and he goes like, ha, 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 ha. He says, ha, you know, how can you walk around in these clothes, right? He goes, ha, ha. So I went to him, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> how can you walk around those clothes? <laughs> and then, he says like, oh, and then I said to him, I said, are you wearing those clothes every day? He said, no, not every day. You know, sometimes I have different, different clothes for different days. He said, I said, do you like those clothes? I like them very much. I said, but you're not wearing them every day. He said, no, not every day. I said, oh, these clothes, I wear them every day. You know why? Because they're spiritual. And therefore they don't get boring. And therefore I don't need to put like one day flower pants and the next day stripes and the next day blocks and all these varieties. <laughs> because it satisfies. 
because it's spiritual. Because with the dress, I'm trying to say something. Like, I noticed that you have like expressive dresses. You know, you have your American star outfit, and then this morning you're also wearing like quite a quite a designer's t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just to contradict me, you have now put on your white t-shirt. <laughs> so, when it comes to dress, you're a tricky dresser. <laughs> and with a man with a lot of variety. <laughs> so, but, you know, don't think that you're going to lose out when you don't, when you don't have all those outfits to choose from anymore. Because just by wearing this, you can be very, you know, uh, you can be, uh, it's clothes that connect you with Krishna. So it's very nice. And you can get some chadar or something, you know, something special chadar. Some border or something. <laughs> something. You can get different size neck beads, you know, big ones, or small, or those ones with little gold in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you can get some kavacha, or other things. So, there is enough, enough opportunity for individual expression. But it's, but it's all spiritual, so it's actually nice. It's cool. See, it's like... Nowadays, the, the, the uniform of the day is jeans. See, jeans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this gentleman over here, got a typical, you know, modern dress, you know. Jeans, right? Him also there, jeans. And sure, there's more people with jeans in the room, right? Jeans. Okay. And t-shirt, you know, some sort of t-shirt. Yeah. Now it's like... And then it's called a fleece jacket or something, you know. Yeah. And that's like, you know, the typical Kalyugi uniform. And then you can get a, get a badge, Kalyugi soldier. <laughs> so, so everything is expressing something. Right? Clothes, they they have some uh, some meaning. Like the blue jeans, they were originally uh, well, they came in in a big way in the West as free time clothing. People at work would wear like more pants, you know, like full pants, you know, with a nice crease in the middle, right? <laughs> Official dress. And then at home, change for the blue jeans. But then the times got more relaxed. And you could even start wearing blue jeans at work, which before was absolutely out of the question. Right? But now you can so it, is, it shows, it is an expression of something, 
It's not just, you know, that, well, I like to wear jeans, they're comfortable, or I prefer a suit, or I prefer a dhoti. No, everything has a message. Everything has a lifestyle attached to it. So the, the blue jeans has the sort of relax everything lifestyle, you know. I mean, relax principles, everything goes lifestyle. That's, of course, not everyone who wears blue jeans necessarily does all these things. I'm <laughs> not saying that. You know. But still, the clothes kind of emanate that mood. So these clothes emanate surrender and devotion to Krishna. So isn't that nice? So that's why we wear them. But okay, um, if for interaction with the world. You have to wear other clothes. It's not forbidden. It's all right, but not as good as this. It doesn't come close. And these ones, one size fits all. <laughs> so, especially in temple life, it's advantageous to have these kind of clothes because with the prasadam and so on, you know, you might gain weight and then what you're going to do. But the dhoti grows with you. <laughs> Other questions? Comment? Bhakti Bhavan, right? 
whatever it is, it has some strength because there are all devotees living in there. What if we would do that in other places also? What if we would try to move together? Yeah. Maybe that could, could strengthen us. Maybe that could help us. You can think about it. I mean, exactly how to do it. That you have to figure out with your accounts and on the table and look at, you know, prices and figure it out. Logistics. That I can't say from here. I can just give ideas. I think in the early days when Brahma started this movement, Jai in the early days when Prabhupada started this movement, it was yeah. I'm gonna end <laughs> because there are some more powerful personalities than me that are taking over. But I would just like to finish my sentence that in the early days of his coming, uh, Prabhupada had that idea to bring devotees more together and that together they would create an alternative life and it went on like that for a while and then we went back into the world. I remember that in Vrindavan in 1983 the vice president moved out from the temple to get a job and we were all like shocked we were shocked he said how could he do such a thing how could he leave the temple and to go get a job thinking how is it possible but nowadays you know you think like how can the guy just live in the temple <laughs> why doesn't he get a job <laughs> so, is it that life is difficult, or is it that we have made it difficult for ourselves? I leave you with that question before we turn around and face their lordships for the evening arti and, uh, and meet again tomorrow night. And uh, you can think about it. Is life difficult, or did we make it difficult? I think Prabhupada gave us an option to do something else, but it would require that we have deep relationships amongst each other, relationships based on trust, with strong spiritual leaders who can guide us, who we can surrender to, to unite us, and then maybe we could do an amazing thing, and maybe that day will come, let's see. But for now, it's each man for himself and God for us all. And that maybe is the problem. Okay, leave you with that. Thank you.